Good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? <laughs> y'all caught Kenan out here, so uh, what's up, what's up, what's up? 11.15, how are you guys doing this morning? Front row is a little crazy. Rest of y'all, we're going to get you crazy. My name is TJ, and uh, <laughs> we're glad that you're here with us today. We're starting a brand new series called Making Change, and this series is really all about um, something that came out of a survey that we did with you guys actually a couple months ago. Uh, we asked you guys to help us help you, and so we asked, what are some of the things that you guys are struggling with? What are some of the things that you want some more information on? How can we help you in your lives, in every aspect of life, not just spiritual growth, but what are some of the problem areas that you're dealing with? And two overwhelming responses that we got back on virtually uh, the vast majority of the surveys was people are struggling in relationships and they're start struggling in finances. And we thought, man, those, those two things, a lot of times, hey, we're getting like hazed out here like crazy. I feel like I just walked through a cloud of smoke, uh, probably because I did. Um, they, those, are, those two things were the overwhelming responses. And we, so we said, man, you know what, we're, we're going to sit down and we're going to address some of those things. In fact, uh, we kind of think that a lot of times uh, the fi family dynamics and money go hand in hand because statistics say the number one reason for divorce in America today is, is financial stress, which means that one of the reasons people are struggling in their relationships at home, <laughs> excuse me, is because of all the financial pressure that's going on there. There's a lot of worry that's happening. In fact, uh, Money Magazine said that two-thirds of Americans today are worried and just freaked out about their family's financial future. And so that tells me that there's a lot of tension right there, <coughs> excuse me, in that in that aspect of our life. And it's causing a lot of stress. It's causing a lot of worry. It's causing a lot of apprehension. It's causing tension in the relationships that we're facing today. And so rather than just continue to ignore those things, we thought, man, we're just going to take this head on and we're going to start a series called Making Change. And we want to help you make some changes in your life because a lot of us, we're going through life and we're worried about this thing. In fact, I put in your outline inside your worship guide there, uh, the definition of worry. The definition of worry is a torment with cares, anxieties, to have these thoughts that are just completely disturbing in our life. And I think the reality is, is that a lot of us, we have some cares that are very overwhelming. We have a lot of anxiety based on financial things that are going on in our life. And a lot of us, we're worried about the future. We're having some disturbing thoughts, not only about this month, but in the months to come, and our goal is, is to help you not have worry in your life because the exact opposite of worry is trust. And we hope that we can help you establish this trust in God that will absolutely change your financial outlook in your life. And so, um, over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is going to be real simple. We're going to look at the truth of God's word. And we're going to allow God's word and his truth to penetrate our lives and penetrate our hearts. Um, and, and that's my responsibility to do. Your responsibility in this is, is that you need to listen to the truth of God's word and then you need to be obedient in that. And I know that that's not a very popular thing in our culture today to, to listen to some truth and then go and do what those things say. But I know this is that God has got something incredible for your life. And the only thing that's missing from a lot of us experiencing that is us just doing the things that he's asking us to do. So 
God's not overly complicated. We make God overly complicated, but most of the time, God is pretty simplistic. It's pretty easy to follow what he wants us to do. And so this is kind of a two-winged bird. One side of it is, is God's truth, and the other side is our obedience to what he says. We have got to believe what he says, and we have got to obey what he says. In fact, in Isaiah chapter one, it says this. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. We have got to be some people that are willing, and we've got to be some people that are obedient to what God says in order. And what happens when we're that way is that we end up experiencing God's best for our life. And I I wouldn't, I, I can't imagine that any of us don't want God's best for our life. I mean, how many, church, so how many of you guys want God's best for your life? Okay, there's a couple of you that don't. That's okay. You don't have to want it. The vast majority of us do, so we're going to go with the majority. Um, this, this is in politics. We're not going to go with the minority. We're going to go with the majority. And so the majority of us want to have God's best in our life. And so for me, this has always been kind of the scary subject of church uh, to talk about finances. It's always the thing that I get a little freaked out. In fact, I didn't really sleep very well last night. It always, it always makes me nervous because I know there's five reasons that people don't go to church. And one of them is, is they don't go to church because they think the church, all they want is my, does anybody know? Money. Hey, you guys, maybe you were part of that statistic. You like, you think the church, all that they want is my money. And this is what I know. The reason we think that is, is because we've seen a few cases where there have been some people that have uh, done some things that have been inappropriate with finances, and they think that, man, the churches, they're just trying to get more money so they can spend more things so a pastor can have a plane and all this craziness. And so there's some rare cases of that. Uh, But just because there's a rare case or there's, there's an outlier that's out there, you don't throw away the principle based on that. Because a lot of us, we have some friends that have overeaten in life and gotten really, really overweight. But that doesn't mean that this afternoon we're not going to go eat lunch, are we? Right? Like we're going to go eat lunch still. Just because there's some people that have abused that principle doesn't mean that we have to, to totally throw that principle away and not apply it to our lives. And I believe that God's truth is very, very applicable to our lives. And because of this thing um, and this tension within myself, God led me to this verse in in. In um, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, and it says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. God led me to this place and he said, man, you keep being worried about what people are going to think if you tell them the truth of my word. But the reality is, is that people are being destroyed right now. The economy over the last couple of years has destroyed a lot of people. A lot of us are still being destroyed by financial decisions that we've made and, and we're struggling in life. And God says, listen, the economy is going to go up and the economy is going to go down. We've all experienced that. People are going to make money and we're going to lose money. But there is one thing in this life that never changes that always says the same, and that is the truth of God's word. And what we need more than anything else in our life today isn't an economics lesson. What we need is the truth of God's word applied in our life. And if we can get the truth of God's word applied in our life, it will absolutely transform our life. And so I'm not coming here today because I want something from you, because I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience the fullness of the best of the land that God has for you, and that's only going to come when we get this knowledge that we need. In fact, I want you to circle that word knowledge in your notes there on your outline in in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, and and that isn't the typical knowledge that we think of because the reality is, is that the majority of us, we're a smart group. 
This is a very well-educated church. A lot of you guys have more degrees on your business card than there are in a thermometer. You are intelligent, okay? Like, we know that. Like, you're smart. And we're not talking about just gaining more knowledge in life. What I'm talking about when I'm speaking about knowledge here is where we don't just have the information, but we get some revelation with it. Where we have this aha moment that, that doesn't just, just give us a mind gas, but absolutely changes how we do life. And today, my, my hope and my prayer is, is that, that today we would have this revelation of God's knowledge. And what would happen is, is we're going to speak God's truth and we're going to rely on the Holy Spirit to come and reveal himself to us, to have that aha moment for us. And then what we have a responsibility to do, myself included, is we just need to obey what God says. And so I want to pray for us and then we're going to dive into this. It's going to be really different than normal today. So let, not sure what that was. So... Uh, Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come down and you would speak to each and every one of us, God, that we would open up our hearts, that we would open up our minds, that we would open up our ears to receive all that you have for us. And that, Lord, that today would be a day that we would hear your truth and we would receive all that you have for us, God, and we would apply it to our lives. And I pray that as we begin to trust you, God, that it would absolutely transform every single thing that we do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, now let me just be real clear today. Today is a little bit different because today I, I'm not going to do like normal funny, tell lots of jokes kind of TJ uh, and message. And I know some of you guys are like, finally, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to teach you something. I know it's a rare thing here at church, but I want to teach you something today because I think that if we can learn this, if we can grab hold of this, it will change our lives. And so I want to teach you a couple of principles. And the first one is this. The first principle that we have got to do if we're going to make some financial change in our life is we have got to put God first. We have got to put God first in our lives. We're going to read two scriptures. I'm going to ask you to circle some words in each one of these scriptures. Then we're going to talk about them. So we're going to start in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says this. It says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. There's three words that I want you to, to circle in there. I want you to circle tithe. I want you to circle storehouse. And I want you to circle house. Circle tithe, storehouse, and house. Okay, we're going to read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. Now, what I want you to circle in there is first part. Some of you guys, you want to circle wine vats because you're alcoholics. We talked about that last week. So go back and listen to that. We circle first part. Now, I told you to circle the word tithe. The word tithe simply means 10%. It means the first 10% of your income. That's what he's referring to or your increase. Proverbs talks about it. The first part, it's the same word. If you were to go back into the original language, it's the same exact word. The first part and tenth are the same words. He says, man, give God the first part. And he says, where do you bring the first part? He says, take it to the storehouse. 
Everywhere in the Old Testament that refers to the word storehouse is constantly referring to the temple or the house of God. It's referring to the place of worship that the Jewish people would go and worship. In the New Testament, it's what we would call the local church that God established. He said, man, I will build my church. It's the local place that he established it. Now notice the wording that Malachi says in there. He says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Notice it didn't use the word give. It didn't use the word give. It says, listen, the tithe isn't something you give. The tithe is something you return back to the storehouse, to the place where you worship, to the place where you encounter God at. It is the local church. And so he says, man, the first thing that you're gonna do if you're gonna trust God is you gotta return to God, bring back to God what's already his to his place, which is the local church. Now, for some of us, we're going, well, man, I give the charities, all these things. That's awesome. I encourage you, give the charities. Shayla and I, we give the charities all the time. But the first 10% of our income, if we want to put God first in our life, goes back to the house of God. That's what he says. And now, I know some of you guys are going back to, well, you said all the church wants is my money. And so right now you're thinking, well, all, this church, why they're preaching this message today is because they just want my stuff. They want my money. Listen, let me just tell you this. For those of you that don't give here, because the people that give, they're like, I don't even care about this. I'm just going to give. But for Because the, they've already learned the principle. For those of you that don't, let me tell you something. You don't ever have to give here. You know what? And ministry is going to continue to go on. All of this happens because people already do give and we don't need anything from you because God is the supplier of all of our needs. And some of y'all need to realize that you don't have enough because you've never God made God the supplier of your needs because you've never put him first in your life. And see, we don't need you to give because there's other people that already are giving that are trusting God. And we're gonna see that. What I want for you is for you to realize that God is first in your life so he can do something significant in your life. And see, the reason we give, why this is applicable and why this is important to you is Psalms 92 tells us in verses 12 and 13, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of God. It says we'll flourish when we're planted in the house. Two words. We already, we already circled the word house, so we're circling that again. Like when we get planted in the house of God, when we make God first and we get planted in his house, which is a local church, and we start to say, God, I'm going to put you first in everything in my life. What happens is, is I want you to circle the word flourish. It's in there twice. We start to flourish. And that word literally means to bloom or to sprout out. It's a lot like allergy season that happens here. When the, the trees begin to bloom and the plants begin to bloom, we have these huge oak trees that are over right where Shayla and I park our cars in our condo. And every time it's that allergy season, which I hate, when I walk outside in the morning, like my car is completely covered in yellow junk. Like anybody else experienced that? Like all that pollen, like it's everywhere. It's like, where does this stuff come from every night? I wash it off, it's back there again and it completely saturates, it completely engulfs everything. And it's such a great picture for us because what he's saying is he's saying, listen, when you get planted in the house of God and you put God first in your life, all of a sudden what God starts to do is he starts to saturate every single aspect of your life. He starts to cover every aspect of your life. He starts to be involved in every single part. And the reason we start to bloom and we start to flourish is because we're bringing God what already belongs to him. We're bringing God what already belongs to him. 
A lot of times we think, no, 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 this is mine, but it belongs to him. In fact, if you read in Leviticus chapter 27, it says this, one-tenth, referring again to the tithe, just another way of saying it, of the produce of the land, whether the grain from the fields or the fruit from the trees, here's the key statement, belongs to the Lord. It must be set apart to him as holy. Now, right here, this is what... um, if, if you're a Bible scholar, this would be called the Levitical law. It was a law that was established for the Jewish people that would kind of give them, what it was doing is it was giving them boundaries to healthy relationships. It was saying, man, if you want to have a healthy relationship with God, here are things, and if you want to have a healthy relationship with other people, here are things that you need to do. And what it was constantly showing us is that our greatest things that we can do just are never good enough. We are gonna need a savior and we're gonna need Jesus. But what he's saying is he's saying, man, if you wanna have a healthy relationship with God, man, it's gonna start with us putting God first. And, and now I know there's gonna be some pushback from some theologian in here that's gonna say, well, the Levitical law or the law of the Old Testament was destroyed when Christ was hung upon the cross. That was the whole point of him tearing that down, saying that law isn't in effect anymore. But the reality is, is that do we just throw everything out so we say, hey, murder's okay now? Is everybody cool with murder? Like, none of us are cool with murder. Why? Because it's like a healthy relationship aspect. And a lot of us, we, we want to try to get away from things because we don't think that they're good for us. But the reality is, is that it, it's very good for us because the law didn't die. It actually showed us our need for Jesus. This week, uh, Shayla and I are getting ready to go out of town. We're getting ready to go to um, some missions things for our church. And we asked Susie, uh, who is our youth director, if, if she wanted to come stay at her house and and, and Susie's a, a single girl, and so we thought, man, this would be a perfect person to stay at our house. Like, she won't throw parties or anything or anything like that, but uh, um, <laughs> she's a little crazy. And, but we're like, we want to make sure that our house is taken care of, that no pipes bust or um, any of those things. And so we'll have Susie stay at our house. And, and I was thinking about it. If Susie comes and stays at our house this week, and we get back later this week, and when we get home, she goes, you know what, TJ and Shayla, we, I've been praying this week. And God has really been speaking to me. And I know that this is going to sound crazy and it's going to sound really, really generous, but I feel like God is calling me to give you your house. I'd be like, Susie, what crack have you smoked this week? Like, you can't give me my house. Like, it's just not possible. Like, you can't give something that's not yours. Like, that's not possible. Like, some of y'all are like, wait, can I? Like, you can't. You can't give something that is not yours. Why? Because the thing she's trying to give, it's already mine. And here's, here's what Malachi is saying. He's saying, bring, not give, because you can't give something that's not yours. See, you can't give God 10% because it's not yours to begin with. It's already his. In fact, Stephen Furtick says this, and and I love how he says this. He's a pastor in, in, in North Carolina. He says, there is a difference between being entitled and being entrusted with things. And a lot of us, what's happened in our life is, is we become very entitled. We think, these are my gifts. These are my talents. This is my income. This is my job that I've gotten. When the reality is, is those talents that you got, they were given to you by someone. 
They were entrusted to you by God. That, that job that you got was entrusted to you by God. That income you've got was entrusted to you by God. And, and we've taken on the mentality of this is all mine and I can do whatever I want with it. And you start thinking I have a right to this rather than when we're, in, when we're uh, entrusted with something, we realize that we have a responsibility for this. And God has given us this, and he's saying, listen, I'm giving you some response. This is, this, it's all mine, but I'm entrusting you with this, and you're to be responsible with this. He's trying to teach us responsibility in this because this isn't really about money. It's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. He's trying to get us to see that it's not really about the money. It's about our heart. He's trying to reveal to us, like, where is your heart? Where's your heart in all this? In fact, Deuteronomy tells us the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. The whole purpose of giving to God, to returning this to God, to bringing this to God is to constantly be reminding us that he is first in our lives. It's to teach us to trust him. In fact, that word teach right there, I want you to circle the word teach That word teach means to become skillful or to be trained in an area. And God is trying to train us in this area. It reminds me a lot when I was in high school. I was, a, I was a defensive back and I wanted to play college football. And I remember going into my senior year that summer, all summer long, all I did was train for the upcoming season. I went to camps to, to get better at my craft. I would watch videos of great defensive backs and strong safeties so I could see what they did and see the little nuances in their game. I worked on my technique. I was constantly going out to the football field and getting in my, my stance and getting ready and backpedaling and swiveling my hips so I could run with a receiver or a tight end. And I was constantly doing these things. And then throughout, when I wasn't able to practice, I was going home and I was watching game tape of future opponents that we would have. So I would see tendencies that they would have so I could read the play before it would ever happen and I could react instantaneously to it. So I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to know what was happening. It would just become kind of a second nature. And I remember the first play uh, or the first game of our season, I one of the first plays. I was lining up on the strong side of the field because that's where the tight end was lined up. And right away, one of the first plays, I saw the tight end crack down on our defensive end, which meant he came down on him and I saw a guard pulling and instantaneously I knew what I was supposed to do. I didn't have to think about it. I just started running straight into the backfield because I knew I had to contain a running back who was on a sweep. And some of y'all are like, you just completely lost me. Like, I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about right now. Anybody that watches football is like, I'm, I'm, I locked, locked in right now. They're like, I'm following you. Basically what happened is I ran back and I hit the dude with the ball. He fumbled it. We picked it up and it was good, good game. Good game. (laughs) And, uh, I remember running off the field and my coach grabbing me and going, going, Mac, Mac, how'd you do that? And I go, I don't know, coach. Because I didn't know. I didn't think about it because the game had become second nature to me. It didn't matter what was happening around me. I knew, like, I just saw things and I knew where to go. Because I had practiced and I had trained and I had become that. And what God is saying is, is, he's saying, listen, I'm trying to train you so that when the circumstances of life come up, you're not worrying and freaking out, but you're trusting. I'm trying to build a people that their second nature is, is they, they just automatically, rather than reacting to circumstances, they automatically trust me fully and completely. 
They're not looking to everything else, but they're looking. They've got their eyes focused on where they're going, not what's happening all around them. I wasn't worried about what the linebackers were doing. I wasn't worried what the wide receiver was doing. I was worried about my responsibility to trust and go to where I knew I needed to go. And what God is trying to teach us is he's trying to teach us, man, this isn't about money. This is about a heart. God, God is trying to teach us, man, I want people that are fully devoted to me. Money is just a revealer of that. In fact, in Malachi, before he ever gets to verse 10, in verse 7, this is really revealing because this is what God was after when he was talking about this. In verse 7, he says this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. That word return right there, what it means is it means to have a change of heart. God is saying, what I want from you guys is I want you to have a change of heart. In the New Testament, we would use the word repentance. So it's where we turn 180 degrees from where we are to go a different direction. He's saying, he's saying just like he would in James 5, he says, return to me or draw near to me, return to me, and I will draw near to you or I will return to you. He's saying, man, the, these Jewish people, what had happened is they had come back. They had had the temple. They had had all of these things. They were doing all of this religious activity. But yet God was looking down and seeing where they were putting their stuff and realized that their hearts were far from him. Their hearts were far away. And he's saying, listen, the thing that I want most from you is I don't want your stuff. I want your heart. I want your heart." And this is literally the last thing that he's telling the Jewish people before he goes silent for 400 years. The last thing that I want you to know, if God could tell you one thing today, is he says, more than anything, what I care about is your heart. If you were to fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus starts addressing this thing right away. He starts seeing the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of the day, and they're doing all the religious activity. And what he says to them in Matthew 15 is he says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Because God is constantly about, like, where is your heart? Because where your heart is, everything else in life is right along with it. Then Jesus tells us where our heart goes. In Matthew 6, 21, he says, your heart will be where your treasure is. Your heart will be where your stuff is. People, when they're doing kind of crazy things or do something that isn't very wise, their common response is, is but God knows my heart. Anybody ever heard that before? God knows my heart. Of course he does. And it's revealed by how you spend your money and what you do with your stuff. That's the revelation of where your heart is. He says, man, I've got, I've got the thing that reveals it continuously. And church, we've got to understand that this isn't a money thing. This is a heart thing. God is just trying to reveal, where's your heart? Where am I in the priority status of life? And when we get our heart right, what it does is it sets us up to release God's favor in our life. It releases God's favor in our life. Genesis chapter one, there's the story of Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve end up having some kids. Their name are Cain and Abel. And most people know the story of Cain and Abel because uh, Cain eventually killed Abel, and that's what we know the story. But there's so much more to it of why 
Cain killed Abel. And if you were to look in Genesis chapter 4, it really reveals why he did that. And it has a lot to do with God's favor. Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, it says, Now, now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, when you first read that story, you automatically think to yourself, like, God, that's kind of a weird story. They both brought something to God. You would think God would, would look at them both the same way, but he looks with favor on Abel and looks kind of with despise on, on Cain. And you would think to yourself, God seems pretty unfair in that situation. But if you're to go back and you're to read those verses, the verses are very revealing. In verse four, it says, it says this, that Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flocks. In other words, what it's saying is, is it's saying when Cain had the first animals, he didn't wait for animal two, three, four, seventeen, twenty-seven before he gave them to God. He said, "Man, this is the first, and it's the very best, and I'm going to bring it to God right away before I ever know if there's ever going to be any more." But in verse three, it says Cain. It, it actually says in a course of time, meaning that after he had already harvested everything he had, after he had already gotten everything that he needed, after he had already consumed what he needed, at, over time, he then brought that to God. And God looked at that and said, man, I'm not looking for leftovers. He's not looking for our second or our third best. He's looking for the first best. In fact, it remind, my mom is an incredible cook. She was a chef and owned a catering business, and she loves nothing more than cooking for other people and having people over to her house, and she'll cook the most gourmet meal. It's absolutely ridiculous what she can do in the kitchen. And when she has people over, she always wants to know, like, what are the meals that they really enjoy? What are the things that they love? Because she wants that, them to have an incredible experience at her house. It's just something about her. She would never ever think about having people over and them showing up and going, hey, let me run to the kitchen and see what I can find and make you something. And like pull out some half-eaten Cheerios, pull out a couple week old Thai food that's been in the refrigerator, you know, that's got a little bit of funk to it and like put that out and go, let, let me mix this up and see if I can make something amazing. Like she would never ponder doing that, but yet so many of us, that's exactly what we do with God. We go, God, man, I've consumed all this. This is what I have left over. Here you go, enjoy it. And then we expect God to meet all of our needs. And there's this disparity between what we want and what we do. And it's, it's, it's enormous. Listen, guys, if God is at the end of our priorities, why would we expect God to give us his very best to bless us? I mean, Listen, if Shayla is at the end of my priorities, here's just a principle. Guys, you need to pay attention right now that if you're married, if I don't pay any attention to Shayla, but I go home tonight and I, I want to get lucky, here's a priority. I ain't. I'm not getting that. It's probably not a good example.
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I knew somebody was going to bail me out there. It's about the priorities. It's amazing y'all keep showing up. I promise. <laughs> like, I've said some crazy stuff over the last couple of weeks, and you guys just keep coming back. I, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, it's all about priorities. In fact, Ron Blue, uh, in the book Master Your Money, he's one of the one of the experts. He started a lot of the crown financial things that help people get out of debt. Today, uh, people people are getting set free from a lot of the principles that he came up with, along with Larry Burkett. That the guys now today are taking and, and doing very well with and helping people get out of debt. Like Dave Ramsey, he's taking a lot of Ron Blue's principles. But Ron Blue in his book, he said that America's priorities are, are, are pretty interesting because most of America's priorities, number one, is, is everything they get, they spend right away. The number one priority is they're going to spend it on themselves. The second thing they're going to do is they're going to pay bills and they're going to pay some of their debt. The third thing that they're going to do most of the time is they're going to go out and they're going to pay their taxes. The fourth thing they do if they have any money left over is, is typically they'll, they'll save a little bit for themselves and maybe invest it. But the fifth thing that they'll do if there's anything left over is they'll give it away. You know, they'll give some away. He says the problem with that is, is that for a lot of us is, is we've taken God out of our equation because he's nowhere on our priority list. And he says if you want to experience God's best for your life, we've got to rearrange our priorities. And he said we actually have to flip the entire scale in this to where the first thing we should always do is we should trust God and give to him. The second thing we should do is we should pay ourselves first. We should save and we should invest. And this is what I know. I just read a statistic in USA Today. The stupid things people are doing with their money today, very few people today are investing at all because they're spending 103% of their income. You didn't even know that was possible. That's called debt, which is the, the, the third thing. We need to pay taxes. We need to take care of Uncle Sam. Unfortunately, we just had April 15th. I know some of you guys are still grieving from that. We'll get through it. And then... Then we pay our bills and our debt, and finally, then we can spend on ourselves. But a lot of us, we've got it in an opposite order. And, and when we make a decision to flip that around and say, God, I'm going to put you first, what it does is it releases God's favor in our life. And what happens is God starts helping us in our life. Sir John Templeton, who started um, the Templeton Group Mutual Funds, um, one of the greatest investors of his generation, they say that he gave over a billion dollars away. How many of y'all, a billion dollars, how many of you guys would like a billion dollars? Yeah. How many of y'all would give away a billion dollars? Liars. <laughs> like, that's a lot of money. A billion dollars, gave away a billion dollars. Um, and Money, Money Magazine actually credited him as the greatest global stock picker of his generation. Like, that's a pretty incredible statement to have on your business card. Money Magazine, greatest stock picker, like, I'll hire you. And he says this, he says that no matter the ups and the downs of market, because he trusted God and put God first in his life, he always came out ahead. In fact, he went and he encouraged every single one of the people that invested with him to give to God first. And in this article that I was reading, he says that he has statistical proof that the people that trusted God first, that put God first in their life, exponentially outgained people that did not consistently over their finances. I mean, they were exponentially wealthier than the other people because of the principle of putting God first always caused favor to fall into their lives. And I'm not saying you give to God so you can get from God, but there's a principle that's there that when you trust God, 
God entrusts you with more. He always does because that's just who he is. But here's the deal, church. All of this stuff that we're talking about, putting God first and and returning it to him because it's already his and, and realizing that it's about our heart, not about the money and the fact that God wants to pour out some favor and some blessing on your life. The thing about all that is that sounds great in theory, but what it requires of us is it requires faith on our part. It requires an extreme amount of faith on our part. And it doesn't really make sense to us because it's so counterintuitive to everything we're told in society. And sometimes we have to get beyond ourselves to get into where God wants us to be. It's gonna take us stepping out. That's why Hebrews 11, 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He says, man, he rewards those that earnestly seek him. That word earnestly is a reflection of our heart uh, positioning to God is saying, man, God, you're first, you're foremost in my life. I want you more than anything. And we hear words like favor and we hear words like uh, rewards. And if you were to look back in Malachi chapter three, verse 10, you would see the word blessings. We see those words and automatically we think, man, I want that. And we Americanize them. We think that if God's blessing, what that means for us is that means we're going to have a bigger house, our income's going to go up exponentially, that we're going to drive a nicer car, that we're going to have all these these financial options that we don't currently have right now. And, And yes, God does want to bless you in those ways, but that isn't the primary way. Because a lot of us base our happiness in life based on what's happening in life. Anybody notice that? Like we think, oh man, I'm blessed. If, if I'm doing well, then I'm blessed right now. I'm favored of God. But if we're not doing well, we're like, oh, God hates me right now. But that isn't necessarily true. When God said he wants to bless you, it isn't, it isn't based on circumstances. Is he, he's saying like, man, I want to do something inside of you that no matter what's happening in your life, no matter whether you're up in the market or you're down in the market, whether it's good or it's bad, that there is a joy and there is a peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that no matter whether you're good or you're bad, I'm there and you can trust me in this. That I'm going to take care of everything because here's what I know is that Fort Lauderdale is pretty good, but how many of y'all know heaven's going to be better? I can't wait for heaven. I mean, there's some beautiful people in Fort Lauderdale. There's some nice people in Fort Lauderdale. But heaven is going to be so much greater. It's going to be so many cooler people. Sorry. Hope to see you there. Hope you're one of those cool people. But so many of us are living for the moment instead of for the lifetime. And we're living based on the circumstances rather than putting our trust in a God who is always faithful. And this is what I know about God, is God has got a reputation. And he's got a reputation of always coming through. And I don't think God's going to risk his reputation and say, test me and try me and all this stuff like he does in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, if he's not going to follow through on what he promises. And what he's challenging all of us to do today, if we're going to make some major change when it comes to finances is that we've got to get our foundation right so he can build something great in our life. But it starts with, man, will you take the step of faith to trust God first and foremost? Will you return to him what's already his, saying, God, I believe that you can do more with 90 than I can do with 100. 
And that as you do that, you'll start to see that your heart is drawn to the heart and the things of God because the things of God are where you're putting what you value, which is your stuff in. And as you start to see, do that, you'll start to realize that this time where somebody gets up here and talks about when you give, this life change is happening, all of a sudden you're like, man, that's incredible because I'm a part of that. It isn't just a time where we're filling up space, but you're like, man, I contribute to that. I'm a part of that. I'm seeing God bless my life through the blessing of other people's lives and lives are being changed and lives are being transformed and I'm playing a role in that. And then God is showing up in my life like he never has before. It's an incredible thing. But it takes faith on your part. Will you trust that he is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it says throughout all generations forever and ever. See, God is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He's the same. What he did for one, he'll do for you if you'll trust him first. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who never fails, that you truly are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what I know is that a lot of us, we have worry, we have anxiety, we have some crazy thoughts based on the circumstances we find ourselves in. And and for a lot of us, if we are honest, we we would say we put our trust in ourselves, in what we can accomplish, what we could make, what we could do. And unfortunately, that's failed a lot of us. It's left us longing and wanting. But today, I know that God is challenging some of us that it's time for us to take a step of faith. It's time for us to trust him, not just with our salvation, but with every aspect of our life. A lot of us have like the fire insurance to heaven but we're missing out on living here on earth. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today's the day that you say, you know what, today's the day that I need to step out and I need to start trusting God in all aspects of my life, not just for salvation, but in my finances, in my things. And if you just slip your hand up, I'd love to pray with you. On the count of three, one, two, three. Yeah, people, put your hands up. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being real and authentic. God, I just pray for every hand that just went up, Lord, that you, as you've revealed some things to them, if you, as they've had this knowledge that's become revelation, God, that you would just inspire them and equip them to move forward and be obedient in what you are calling them to, to trust you fully and completely with every aspect of their life. God, that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide them all the days of their life. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this place.